Today's guest, Andy Stritz, CTO and co-founder of Finn. You should never build roles for individuals. You always hire individuals for roles. That's a good piece. If, yeah. Very simple. Why that? Very often, I mean, in the past, I did 200, 250 interviews a year. Sometimes you fell in love with the candidate because for whatever reason, you're like, oh, that's the greatest, but we have no position. And then you are starting to bullshit yourself, right? You start building up a role for, for an individual. And that's a major mistake. Also, seasonated leaders, they have, yeah, they fall into this trap, but they're aware of. So what, you should never do that. Because what if the person leaves the company? Then you have to hire this one individual for this specific role that you built for an individual can't work. Andy and I talked about how to differentiate the role of a co-founder and a CTO um, by company stage and also about a very critical stage from going from 20 to 40 employees and up to 40 employees um, as an engineering leader in an engineering organization and also what type of methodologies can be used and also how the approach in product development changes over time. So enjoy. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Hi, Andy. Today we are talking about wearing the CTO and co-founder hat. I'm looking forward to it. We already had a pleasure at the VR Developers World Congress to do a panel. Um, so thank you also for taking the time then. And then we also met at the Artist in Berlin shortly, um, but then lost each other. And now we are here back having a conversation um, and I'm looking forward to it. To it. So um, welcome. And maybe you can start with a short introduction. Sure. Yeah. First of all, thank you for the invitation and uh, happy to hear that uh, we found each other again. And uh, yeah, so um, my name is Andy. I'm 39 and uh, yeah, I'm a tech guy doing e-commerce if you want. So um, yeah, I'm a CTO and co-founder of a company called Finn. So Finn.com, it's a car subscription provider. So if you need a car for a month, for six or 12 months, you just go to Finn.com, you select a car. And then it's get, getting delivered to your front door. And, and, and I think you also told me um, about the advantage against six that you can really get the car what you choose, right? And at six, you just um, get the model and then you get a random car sometimes. I'm not sure about six because I'm not a six customer. I am a Finn customer, but uh, it definitely it's like an e-commerce, right? So if, um, you know, I'm an e-commerce guy also in the past. So if you go to, let's say, Zalando or about you and select shoes, sneakers, let's say white Nike sneakers, I think you would be shocked getting black Adidas. And this is what we we don't do. Yeah, If you go to Finn and select a car, you get exactly what you see. The color, the configuration, and everything is exactly what you see. Uh, nice, nice. And um, before, as you said, you were also um, in, in e-commerce. And um, then you founded um, Finn. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about the founding times or story and how you also came up or participated in the idea because um, today we want to talk about also what is um, what is the founder head and what is the CTO head when growing a company and teams. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So let's do that. Yeah. So the founding phase at Finn was, uh, it's a crazy uh, roller coaster, right? So we founded the company in October 2019. Um, today, it's uh, four years later. We are 400 plus employees. We are in, on two different continents. So we have a, a headquarter in Munich, headquarter in New York. And uh, yeah, so definitely. So um, going through these phases is, is, is crazy for sure. And especially being a CTO and a co-founder, you mentioned this, you're wearing two hats and very often you find yourself in a stalemate situation. Um, so should I go, sh- should I follow the CTO heart or so should I follow the co-founder heart? And um, yeah, this is definitely something very, very interesting. And I think the one example that I have often in mind and and I find myself also in discussion or in talks with my VPs or with other employees in the companies that I explicitly start a phrase or a statement with, I am talking to you now as a CTO, right? Um, Just to make clear, look, I'm I'm now taking the position of a tech guy and um, It could be an example, like I think it's a very technical example. Imagine you have a source code and there's a package that is outdated because of some security reasons. I would tell them as a CTO, hey, please take the time to update this package. As a co-founder, I would, on the other hand, say to them, hey, look, fuck that security update, right? (laughs) Just move on with the product. Let's implement this feature and increase the conversion rate, you know? But uh, um, I think exactly that... um, situations that are they are like super super fun um in this case i would definitely decide actually the answer is it depends right if it's a crucial security update um could you pause for a second to turn on uh, airplane mode yeah now we we got a phone call and now we're back <laughs> yeah <laughs> apologize for that i got the okay. phone call and uh, you know uh yeah, too stupid to turn on the airplane mode, but I'm back again. So I'm not sure where I stopped, but um, if I uh, recap correctly, it's all about, um, yeah, for instance, in this um, situation with a package uh, update, if it's a crucial security update, you should definitely go with, hey, gentlemen, hey, team, please update this package. And then um, you kind of, the CTO is taking the decision. But I, I think... What is also interesting, I think these are also some decisions, right? But also on the team perspective, when you start out, yeah, um, how do you maybe then um, differentiate between you being, let's say, a co-founder and you being a CTO or a technical um, guy, maybe also coding some stuff in the beginning? Um, How is the process there of building the first team or the first product? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think building the first product is not that hard, to be honest. Um, I think, at least in my case, um, it's all about the recruitment and hiring, right? In Fint case, we started with a no team or a very small team. When I joined Fint, we have been, um, I think it was six or seven or eight of us. And then it's, it's all about the recruitment. But this is the job of a CTO. I think the important part as a co-founder is, that you, and this is, I would say here in Germany, especially still a, a very unique situation that we don't have that many, let's say, STEM co-founders. So you have to always do your regular job as a CTO. And in addition to that, steer the company 
right? And also understand what is the direction. So you should be able to translate simple goals, business goals, into clear actions. And this is something that in the past, especially in traditional old school classic companies, would just have this tendency, ah, you know, tech is just a service company, just do your fucking job. I apologize for swearing, but this is, so there's less of explanation why we are doing things. So the beauty of being a co-founder and a CTO is you, you know exactly why you do things. So you can explain this to your respective people. And the rest is, I would say, the duty of a CTO, hiring people, taking care of the architectural uh, vision, and then, of course, also um, yeah, steering the organization. Nice. And um, the role of a CTO in an early stage is for you hiring. To what point? So it's at least in Finn's case, we knew exactly we are building this company for success. We are building this company for massive growth. So it was very, very clear hiring, hiring, hiring. What, so I have a blueprint in my mind very often when I start to hire. So for the um, first employees, I need, let's say, the cowboy guys. It's individual contributors, um, so engineers, software engineers, maybe senior software engineers that are able to just swim in cold water. Yeah, this, these are the crazy guys. Um, you hire them first, let's say two, three of them, so you can steer them and you can, so, uh, yeah, you can manage them. And then... What I don't do is I don't hire, we call them L5s. So I don't hire team leads. So I think often you can find something like tech lead, engineering manager, or head of technology. I don't hire them. I skip this level and hire next VPs, VP engineerings. So these are the people that I pl plan to um, lead in an organization with 40 plus employees. Because these are the individuals that are able to hire and build teams. What I mentioned, I, I don't hire, let's call it middle manager, because I assume this individual contributor would like to grow into this position. This is exactly why they start within the startup, right? They would love to um, grow with the company. And I think this is the only difference. So the tricky part is if you think about in the timeline of a company, the tricky part is between 20 employees and 40 employees as our company and also later as a, uh, as a department. This is where you have a mental model shift. Yes. Because, um, so I, I would be interested in um, understanding exactly why and what your attributes are. Um, from my perspective, I also see it in a way that there's a very big shift um, because also once you get to 20, the founders cannot do or cannot, the sh uh, cannot run the show just by themselves anymore. And then they need some kind of other layer, right? And um, then it's getting complex. And especially if first-time founders doing this the first time, usually a lot of things break there. <laughs> uh, exactly. So what we see very often is, um, so I see these companies um, quite often, to be honest. I have the, I have the luxury and uh, really the um, great uh, position to, um, that I sometimes get asked to advise these people. These are great tech guys, but missing experience how to build their organization. And they lost the sweet spot. 
So they are too big and they are just overwhelmed by the tech part of it. And um, they are seeking guidance for, for, for how to help with. Actually, it's to be honest, it's straightforward. You have to promote one individual contributor to a leader role. And this can be very often your mid to low performer when it comes to coding, but they're excellent people manager. Because just to put this into perspective, if you as a tech leader leading a small team of four to six engineers, I expect that you do zero coding and 100% people management. And this is the hard part because it's an emotional thing. You hired as a first-time founder all of them. You know you felt in love with all of them. It's like breaking up first time. It hurts, but sometimes you can't continue. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And what is your opinion on on the method methodology in terms of how you do development? Because there are, I think, different models over time that got fancier and non-fancier again. So how would you operate and how would you um, choose the operating model based on maybe the business or the company stage and so on? Mm -hmm. So you are referring to something like Scrum? For instance, yeah. Oh, look, I don't have a very strong emotions on that. So if you are ending up in discussions, Scrum versus Kanban, then you kind of miss the point. <laughs> Sorry, but then that's not your problem. Then we are talking about something, systematical problems. So let me take a step back. If you have a team that is developing features, let's say a website, go for Scrum. Go for waterfall. I don't mind. I would highly recommend go for Scrum because this is an operating model that most of the talents know from other companies. So the adjustment to this uh, to this approach is low. If you have, let's say, a very crucial team that is very DevOps related, let's say you have a team that is responsible for fifty different payment methods worldwide then I would recommend you that to run something like Kanban because they cannot, their operating model is the following. If a payment method breaks, you're losing money. They have to jump on this urgent topic instantly and not developing features. You don't give a fuck on features. Hey guys, ensure that this payment method is working and you continue to, to uh, own money then I would use Kanban. But in this case, it's very often to decide what is the operating model of the uh, of the respecting team. And then what I do is the team is, um, has to decide which um, model they approach. Very simple. And um, when, when you then look into the next layer, let's say we now have um, a, an org size of 40 people. Yeah. Um, how big is the engineering team then in, in your case? For so, what I am aiming for is a share, so um, a, a percentage. For a classic e-commerce company, I have a hard time to hire more than twenty percent of the workforce being engineers. Why that? If we take GitHub as an example, this—I mean—they are building Dev tools for developers. 
you can't get more daffy, right? If you want to. They have yeah, maybe even the people doing sales should be developers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, GitHub, they have a share of 35%. So out of 100 employees, 35 are engineers. So if you have 40 in your company for zero, I would have a hard time having more than eight, including overhead light managers. Because I would then, I mean, that's e-commerce. If you think about the SaaS company, different story, different phases. Because then you have to build your company, you have to build the product. So you can then go for 80, 90% in the first phase. And then series A, series B, you reduce it. But there are so many studies out there to check for the respected share. Is it? But it's more about what's the share for R&D. And later, you have a little bit more into um, um, sales general admin and then you're shifting your share and that's it based on the material. But that's also nice from your perspective to rate it at that way because I, I would just now argue and say that maybe a CTO that never wears the co-founder hat is maybe more tech head driven and always needs more people for everything. Uh, yes. And this is exactly what I'm referring to that our STEM founders or in German we call the Mint yeah, yeah, they have to do their freaking homework. They have to understand the main KPIs uh, of a company, of an organization. Share of employees, personnel, non-personal costs. If it's a B2B company, ARR, net revenue retention. Understand your basic KPIs. If you can't do that, you're just not a co-founder. As simple as that. And this is our responsibility as CTOs to understand that. Not every little detail. So in, in Finn's case, if we the finance guys start to talk about asset-based uh, securitization, I'm like, okay, what is that? Can someone help me? And then after two, three explanations, I, I got used to it. But it's our responsibilities as CTOs to understand that. If your CTO can't understand that, it's not capable to digest that, you should might you might consider to consider to rehire you are also um, an angel investor and you maybe see um, a lot of teams i also saw ctos where um, they started off as engineers and i think you have also some some good experience um, with different environments also track record before founding um, Finn but there yep. are a lot of people out there who maybe just have their first ic role or coded without even teams for themselves. And then some project got a bit traction and then they founded a company and then um, they are an IC co-founder CTO, CTO, mm -hmm. I would say in brackets, mm -hmm. yeah, because mm -hmm. they're not really CTOs. It's actually engineers. Yeah. As you said, the cowboys. Yeah. Um, when do you think um, um, an, an CTO like this or a founding team with a CTO like this should then also considering maybe the first layer of engineering manager or also even replacing the founding CTO with a real CTO. And of course, the person can still be maybe a principal engineer, a chief architect, whatever it is, but not in the driving seat of tech. It's a great question. I never got this question, but the good news is it heavily depends what is your future path of a company. As, let's assume we, you're currently, you finished your series A. So you have deep pockets. You should definitely give, make a very, very clear, I would say, offsite maybe for a day or two 
and redefine what are the roles that we need for the next phase of the company, independent of individuals. By the way, we did it for, for Finn as well. And then you try to match, is this person that we have today capable to fulfill this role? And this is one of the red flags. You should never build roles for individuals. You always hire individuals for roles. That's a good piece. If, yeah. Very simple. Why that? Very often, I mean, in the past, I did 200, 250 interviews a year. Sometimes you fell in love with the candidate because for whatever reason, you're like, oh, that's the greatest, but we have no position. And then you are starting to bullshit yourself, right? You start building up a role for, for an individual. And that's a major mistake. Also, seasonated leaders, they have, yeah, they fall into this trap, but they're more aware of. So what, you should never do that because what if the person leaves the company? then you have to hire this one individual for this specific role that you built for an individual. Can't work. Okay, so maybe let me give you an idea. So it took me seven to eight years, because this was my goal, to be, I call it the end-to-end -end CTO. A CTO who can start with a zero employee company and move on to 1,000 plus. I work for IBM R&D. Okay, big corporate, 100,000 100, plus employees. Take. Next, I founded my own start, uh, startup, co-founded, just with a MacBook in my hand and then building the product, coding. Nice. Until the size of 2025. Take the box. Then I was, okay, look, something is missing. I'm missing this middle spot. What, what between 20 and thousands of employees. Then I joined Westwing. I built up this knowledge and also experienced how is it from a tech perspective to be in a in a in an in a IPO phase, right? To go uh, uh, completely different phases. Once I finished all these phases, I felt ready to be a end-to-end -end CTO. So it took me like eight, seven, eight years to build up this intelligence. Very rarely, you have this setup. And it's fine. But again, as a startup and as a scale-up, you identify the phase in which you are. What is the role that we need for the next phase? Do we have the respected individuals? If not, can we develop them into this? The building up skills, for instance, people management skills. And then if yes, move on. If no, rehire. Nice. And um, for... For for you, what are some signs maybe um, when you also need to switch architecture? Because I think this is also something what is often the case when you then transition um, the operating model in the team that maybe mm -hmm. now you also need to develop the products differently. And maybe at some point um, in the beginning, there was not a real product design team or not um, a real product management unit. And suddenly this all gets created and then the way how an engineering unit and a product development unit um, or maybe an engineering unit that first was product development now gets into product development plus some roles around it. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do you see that the whole um, operating model of a tech org um, is changing there? And what are the signs? 
I'm, I'm currently thinking because um, um, I'm not sure if I understood the question, but let me let me answer. <laughs> let, let me answer my own question. <laughs> um, so one one uh, one statement that I follow very often is: you have to iterate your tech every second year. So once you did, let's call it re architecture restructuring you start again that's tech welcome to tech it's always the same because you have every second year a new programming language a new approach test-driven development domain-driven development and then there's something new every second year all of a sudden there's a massive switch from php to javascript or node.js and python and then flutter now you have that and blah 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 so you literally have to reiterate every second year. But you should, at all costs, avoid rebuilding your architecture. There are some approaches. So we at Finn here, we, for instance, use the 10x approach. We just copy uh, pasted from Google. It's a nice approach to reiterate through your architecture without disturbing the business and the development too much. Let me give you an example. And this is something we had. We had the old architecture built on Airtable. So in the first two, two and a half years, experience in getting the intelligence how to build a car subscription company. It's not like a blueprint for an e-commerce company, you know, where you take the blueprint, you build it, and then done. Once we understood how to build a car subscription company, we started from scratch. This is a project we call Green Dragon. And then we do the following. We take one car and try to implement a new architecture, if you want to, for a single car. So you see, for a single car, you can do a lot of manual hacks. You can move a car, let's say, from a, from a state delivered or in subscription manually. But you have to build up this, for instance, in technical terms, a state machine. Next phase is 10 cars, 100 cars. 1,000 cars. So you see always 10x. Once you have 1,000 cars, it's 10,000 cars. And now we are in 100,000 cars. And once you have 100,000 cars, a million and 10 million is technically same, same. You can't do it manually again. Once we finish with that and we are about to finish that, we st start again. Again with a single car. And to see if our current architecture is still capable to deliver to our business because the probability is very high that your business changes within the last or changed within the last two years so it's yeah so if you want so every second year you have to touch your architecture you know i think again. that that really answered the question because my assumption where i where i was coming from so you were now um, taking the the angle of i think the the load, um, what an architecture maybe can ha handle or also the um, scalability maybe. And I also thought about um, maybe there is an impact on how the team is communicating, doing product development and how the product is built. But then it's maybe not the um, architecture it itself that is impacted, but more the product development approach. Uh, uh, let, uh, let me answer your question. Um, during this exercise of this 10X, you will find yourself in pro, uh, product development issues. 
Because what we, for instance, ended up with, okay, look, the collaboration. So we have a mission-based cross-functional team setups. So our teams, if you want to, so they're talking just through interfaces. And we found out, okay, this is a company-wide project. We have no one to orchestrate that. And we say, oh, that's an issue. And then um, we identified and built one individual uh, DRI to, to steer that. But doing this exercise of this question our architecture, we identify the product development issues as well. And this is exactly why you do it every second year, because you will you will face the situation of, let's say, missing communications between uh, departments, missing alignment meetings, and then you're building up the ceremonies according to that. You could also end up in, in finding yourself in a situation, oh, we need maybe Scrum or Scrum or some other, let's say, um, big organizational uh, product development approaches. Fine. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. So another thing, when you also said that it's it can be completely normal, um, that there is a, a lot of, I would say attrition when you go from 20 to 40 the first time and so on. Do you have any um, any things to watch out to, to maybe also um, prevent it or it's maybe natural and you really want, want to have it? So if you are ending up as an organization to be afraid of attrition, you have a serious problem. You have a serious problem. So I am aiming for attrition between five to eight percent. And every year, minimum. For some organizational departments, you need attrition. I, I call it, I apologize for this term, you need something fresh blood and new ideas, fresh-minded people. Because you're just stuck in that. Yeah? And this is how you, uh, what you do through attrition. My statement is often, if you go from zero employees to 40 employees within tech, the probability that you exchange up to 80% of your workforce is almost 100%. So what I'm trying to say, if you are ending up with 40 employees, just eight of them would be the one that started with you. It's, It's you, can see, sense, yeah. you can see similar... For, um, um, Ratios, maybe it's not 80, maybe it's 60, 70%, but it's definitely high um, double-digit number is also in founding teams. You would almost never find, a, let's say, a company, maybe even a unicorn with the same founding team as the core founding team. Because of reasons that people are can't develop, because the company may be developed too slow, too fast for individuals, it's absolutely normal. And if you don't think about attrition, you bullshit yourself. It's like, you know, when I see slides, we have 0% churn. Nope. <laughs> you have no. Yeah, I, no, I agree, I agree. And that's also good and normal. And um, when, when you would give some um, learnings, best practices, or um, just ideas to f founders or engineering leaders um, 
that are going through that stage to build up an engineering org and go from zero to 40. Um, mm -hmm. how, how would a blueprint look like as a, as a short summary? Uh, I can give you this blueprint, but then uh, you should give me some ESOPs for that. <laughs> uh, so I think the one thing that I learned, and this is something I learned during Finn's phase, um, I'm not sure where uh, I learned it from. It's the concept of team one. You should ask yourself, what is your team one? So what is the team that you're working with? And what is the team? And I'm not talking about the team, the development team. Imagine, so the concept of the team one, you can just Google it, team one, is Should I work as a co-founder, CTO? Uh, should I spend more of my time with my co-founding team or should I spend more time with my dev team? The natural answer is dev team. You are the CTO and that's a pitfall. That's wrong. And this is what we see very often in young startups and fun story with uh, mature organizations. As a young founder, You hired all of the individuals. You know all of them. They are similar to you, similar types. You know exactly how to communicate. Of course, you like to work with them. But what will happen with your team, with your development team, or maybe with your product team? So, for instance, um, I have the product and uh, uh, engineering team reporting to me both. What will happen if you are not aligned within the co-founder group? It's a full-blown disaster. Then your team have massive struggles. So if your team is struggling with, with the vision and the direction, you fucked it up because you set the wrong priority. Your, the team one, the team uh, should be the co-founding team, the management team, not the one that you're working day by day with. So you should spend more time with the, let's say, as a co-founder, with the co-founders than with your team. Nice, thank you. And who is a guest that you know I don't know yet who I should interview as well? Mm, all right, I can give you a full list. So I sent you this list. So I, definitely, there are so many smart people yes. that that I um, at least listen to. I um, uh, yeah. So I can give you the, uh, the this list for sure. Cool. Yeah, thanks. I you should not talk to my wife, by the way. <laughs> I, I, um, if you want to, I can. If not. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I can give you definitely this list if you uh, uh, don't mind. Um, I think there are so many smart people. So you can definitely also talk to uh, Maxi. He is our CEO, one of the um, youngest, fa uh, fast-thinking uh, minds that I um, worked with. One of the, let's say, I would say most tech-savvy CEOs I ever worked with. Yeah, um, I would love to, would love to. If he is up for it, let's do it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have to see, uh, check his calendar. I can do it for the audience. I'm now checking his calendar. Yeah, I think you would have a hard time. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe sometime in the future. Andy, thank you so much for the conversation, for all your insights. It was really um, a pleasure again. And see you soon, maybe in Munich or Berlin. Sure. Thank you for the invitation.